In a world full of boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone. Is this thing on? Use his video marketing knowledge. It's the red button, right? And use his friends. Please be on the show. To change that. You are listening to The Garlic Marketing Show with Ian. What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show. I'm honored to have a spectacular entrepreneur with a phenomenal story. You know I love stories, and this is one of the great ones. You know, he's going to talk today about growing his franchise businesses, but also then an ed tech business, all of his failures, what he's learned over the time. Um, but before we get started with How Lamb, don't forget this is brought to you by StoryGurus.com, the ultimate resource for, you know, if you need to market your franchise, if you're a franchisee, uh, stories are the best way and your client, your customer stories are the best way. If you want to learn how to get help doing that, creating case stories, not testimonials, go to storycruise.com slash case story. Mr. Hal Lamb, thank you so much for being on. I'm super excited to talk to you today. Ian, thank you so much uh, uh, for inviting me. It's such an honor to be here. And I love story, right? Like you can see down on my screen, I have a book. Uh, it is a real life story. Uh, how I got from a refugee to where I am today. Yeah, and I want to talk about that. Yeah, from from bad to worse to best in class. Um, it's available on Amazon. Definitely yeah. go check it out. How It's H-A-O-L-A-M. It's six letters. You can find it there. Very easy to find. But we'll have, if you're listening to this on the podcast, of course, we'll have links in the show notes. But we'll also, if you're watching this on YouTube, they'll be in the description down below. So how you've, you've, you know, you've grown franchises, you've been in business 26 years. I want to talk first about some of the successes you have, and then let's talk about that journey to getting to the successes. Cause obviously you've had some trouble along the way, like we all have, it's not a straight road to success. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about the phenomenal success that you've had. I, I think I'm very proud of my team. A lot of people use the three P, right? Product, process, and people. I think people is the very important component. I was a really lousy and bad bosses in the past, but I keep learning. I learned from wonderful mentors, coaches, who taught me how to be a better person, a better human being. And I'm so lucky that I have a really good, awesome team. I can't do this on my own. We have 60 plus location in 12 states. I, I didn't do the work. I shouldn't take credit for it. My people, my team are driving the success of the franchise business. And I have wonderful franchisee too. We are very, very cautious of who we bring on board. That's the most important thing because Iron, you probably know that a bad apple will ruin the whole basket. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And building a team, I mean, building a team alone is a success. I think I was just talking to an, uh, another entrepreneur this past week, early on, even if you have two, three, four people, you don't realize how difficult growing a team is and finding the right people is. And that is a super part of success. And we'll get into the marketing aspect of it, but I think you need to be doing this. So you've grown this team, you've grown your franchises, and you're now growing an educational technology company too, correct? 
Exactly, exactly. Going back a little bit, I think in order to grow, I mean, I, I, I learned it the hard way, right? We have to have the mission and a vision. And your team are buying all in. They believe in what you believe. And, and just like, it is so important that um, they look at a bigger picture than the financial, right? Well, I love it, right? We are making a positive impact to the world through education, helping kids, helping franchisee. We teach tens of thousands of students on, 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 a, on a regular basis. Wow. You know, and you, you have a passion for education. So let's talk a little about your story. How did you get to here? Because I think it's fascinating. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ironically, Ian, I was basically illiterate growing up. So when I was seven, go back a little bit, I am Chinese. Uh, I'm actually Vietnamese with Chinese origin. I was born in Vietnam, but my dad was from China. So I was born during the wartime. At the age of seven, on April 30th, 1975, my father disappeared. So we thought he was dead. So he was in the Vietnam War. He worked alongside with the, the, the U.S. military. So um, he was captured. He was one of the POW. Wow. One year later, I was eight years old. He suddenly showed up at home. He was released. He was uh, torture, re-educated and all this stuff. And then the first thing he told me, Ian, was that, hey, how you need to leave the country. This is not the place for you. Back in the old day, it was in you go to the U.S. Embassy, right? You get a visa and you buy a, a, a ticket and you hop on the airplane. We have to escape, Ian. It took me 12 years to successfully escape from Vietnam. Wow. During those 12 years, I didn't do anything. I didn't go to school. So ironically, my mom was a school teacher and she got me a Chinese tutor, a math tutor. And then she came in once a week for an hour. That was my formal education. I know a little bit of Chinese and I know a little, I learned a little bit of math. But during the 12 years, I did nothing but trying to escape. I wow. was jailed at, I was shot at, I almost died multiple times in my life. But my dad just, I mean, you, you, you're going to have to try and then long story short, in 1988, I finally made it to the Philippine refugee camp. I learned my very first written language. And that's English. The end. I learned the alphabet. I learned grammar. I mean, it was like amazing that I ate yesterday, I eat today, and I will eat tomorrow. Like, what is that? It wasn't in my language, right? So, so it was just like the past tense, the, 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 the adjective, the adverb, and all this that was so new to me. So I actually being educated when I was 20 years old. And of course, I finally, I live in the Philippine refugee camp for a year. I finally made it to Canada and I graduated high school at the age of 23. And I finished college at the age of 27. And then I was so passionate about education again because I wasn't educated back then when I was little. So I was telling people that, you know, when I was in a refugee camp, I want my dream was to attend high school. When I was talking to people, it's like, what? We, we, we went to high school here in the US. What do you mean by you want to attend high school? Because I did not get a chance to step foot in public school. I wasn't in elementary school, just a little bit until I was seven and eight. I was in the middle school. I was in the high school in, in Vietnam. I wanna, I, I wanna know what it feels like to be a student 
at that time, I didn't even I didn't even know what it meant to have a a high school diploma or or a GED general education diploma, which is a high school equivalent. So I just want to be a student, experience the life of student, right? Like, you know, playing sport, you know, having attending a class, sitting in a class, having a teacher. That was so new to me. It was a dream, and the dream came true. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, it's something that a lot of us here take for granted: the ability to walk into school, get even the basic education, much less an advanced education, which is open to everyone. So, when did you decide that you want to become an entrepreneur? It was by accident, Ian. So, uh, uh, going back to my high school a little bit, because remember, I, 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 I said earlier, my mom gave me a, 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 you know, had a map tour that came to my house one day. But for some reason, I was, I was really interested in math. One day, someone asked me, like, "Why are you in education?" I was so passionate about math. So, when I was in high school, Ian, I taught my classmate. I tutored my classmate, calculus, algebra, and all that. And when I was in college, I also had study uh, study group. I was tutoring math, and then I was uh, riding my bicycle in a little town in Prince Rupert. That was where I had my high school education, and people pay me like three bucks, five bucks to taught their kid uh, how to do math. And then I suddenly realized that hey, maybe I love teaching, maybe I love education. So as soon as I finished college in April of 1995 at UBC, I moved down to Seattle to be reunited with my lovely wife, whom I met on a love boat. That was a romance story. That we'll go into that. And then I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And back back in the old days, it was easy to sign a lease, right? I had no credit. I had no money. I had. I mean, they couldn't even pull my credit back then. So I was able to rent an 680-square-foot office in downtown Bellevue, east of Seattle, and then start, like, I put two tables there, six chairs in each table, didn't even know what I was doing, and then I was the only person at the office. It's a one-man show. I taught, I grade the paper, I answered the phone, I cleaned the toilet afterward, I did marketing, I, like, 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 you were looking at the whole team here. <laughs> That's how I started. That's how most of us get started, right? Exactly. In the first two years, I didn't bring any money home. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs probably resonate with me, right? Like mm -hmm. business was hard at the very beginning. We all, we all cleaned the toilet. We all did everything, right? We all do the dishes and all this stuff, right? So mm -hmm. um, it was tough. I almost gave up. What was the turning point? That you're like, I'm not going to give up. Because I was hungry. I was a refugee. I chased the wrong thing yet. Mm. During the last 26 years, I was in real estate. I was in mortgage I, in mortgage business. I had restaurant. And, and I used to teach in college. I worked for Microsoft and all that. I was so, I, I worked 60 to 80 hours a week, even today. And I tried to do multiple things. I was chasing money. I was chasing the wrong thing. I just, I mean, I want to be financially secure because I was poor. I couldn't even like put food on table, right? I was trying to do a lot of things. And at the end of the day, the turning point is like, I, okay, I need to stop everything. My calling, my passion is education. Let's do it. So 
basically in 2010, 2011, I franchised the business. I see an opportunity in the education field. I want to grow my empire. So in the last few years, I basically, you know, uh, uh, besides investing in real estate, I, I shut down my real estate company. I shut down my, you know, mortgage company. I'm no longer in restaurant right now. I have one goal and one goal only and to, to build my education empire, whether it is, it is a franchise model or the ad tech model. I am in business and I focus in the education sector. Fantastic. I love the education sector. I think that's so important. I'd like, I mean, obviously you have a passion for it. You understand what it's like to not have it and understand how it's like not to even have access to it, uh, which I want to talk about, you know, because uh, how did you decide your direction? What, what, because obviously you have to be profitable. You have to, you know, you want to help everyone out, but you also have to be profitable. How did you decide which direction was the right direction, even inside the education for you? In the education business, we don't make a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. We have a choice of charging very high and have little student and be profitable or charge at a very affordable price and reach out to a lot of people. And we choose the latter. We want education to be affordable to a lot of people. So our tuition is between $100 to $130 a month a subject. We want it to be affordable. You have work with a teacher once a week for an hour to 75 minutes. That's workbook for a student to work on and all the stuff. Our mission is to make a positive impact on the world through education. Money, like, don't get me wrong, Ian, we are a for-profit company, but money today doesn't motivate me anymore. I want to change the world through education. I am in the middle of setting, a, setting up a nonprofit to donate my time, my energy, company resources to help underserved community nationally or globally. We want students to have education. We want kids to, to have education. Education changed their world. Look at me. I was illiterate. You read my book, you know, I was a bad kid. I stole, I fought. I was like, I, I was a street kid. I did, I, I, I did a lot of horrible things. Without education, I wouldn't be where I am today. So education is very important. I, am, I hope that I'm able to provide like education to many, many students, whether they can afford to pay us or not. They deserve Everybody deserves to have basic education. And Ian, education can go past the student math and English and basic academic level. So what I mean by that is that I am so lucky to have many wonderful mentors in my life in the past decade. They taught me how to be a better person, how to run better business and all that in return. I am mentoring many other smaller business, minority, females, and all that. We have 50-plus franchisees. Most of them are minority and female. So education can be a form of academic math and English and STEM education and all that, and can also through mentorship, helping people, and all this stuff. So education could 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 
mean a lot of things in, right? I well, I agree completely because you know you, it's not just formal education; it's it's learning from a mentor, learning from someone like yourself, and seeking that out. Uh, but you know, you spoke about franchisees and franchisors. I want to get a little into that too because I love your story, but you also got into franchising, which is a difficult thing to do. Um, how did you grow your franchise business? Great question. And I almost failed, right? A lot, like, honestly, on a weekly basis, I have people approach me and said, how? Like, I want to I wanna create a franchise. Can you help me? I have my grandmother's secret chicken wing recipe, right? And you probably heard of that, right? A lot of people want a franchise. So in 2011, like, I'm so passionate in education. And I said, okay, I can expand. I have, you know, three or four locations back then. And then we spend so much time and energy and create a franchise. But I, what I didn't realize, Ian, was that franchise is a different animal. A lot of people think that, okay, I have one store. I am very successful. My cousin called me, my friend called me, my neighbor called me. They love my food or concept. And can I buy one of this? And then you just open a franchise. My phone did not ring. I had my FDD. And I have everything ready. And I thought that people is going to come in and very excited about to be an educator like myself. It was wrong. So I learned it the hard way. So I start to go to a lot of uh, um, um, uh, franchise expo workshop and learn from the people who have done it. You know, there are a lot of uh, a great franchise mentor in, in my life that helped me. Okay, so, so franchise is a completely different business. People thought that, oh, I'm, I'm like, I, I, I can make chicken noodle soup. My, my store is doing really well that I have a franchise. It is super hard. In order to have a franchise, it's basically you have a completely new business. You will need to have a CEO. You will need to have a COO. You need to have, you have to market your franchise, right? You need to operation. You need to have a lot of processes, right? And people don't, like, don't realize that because you need a different department, different team, whether that team is one person or two or one person in each department. But it's a whole different animal. And I almost failed because like, I don't have sale. Like nobody buy. I think that's a super important point to realize is that when you become a franchise, it's you're not just selling that business. You're creating another business when you're a franchisor right. because you have the business that you're selling and then you have the franchisor business. So you essentially have two businesses. Yeah. Uh, and once you get started with that, what was the turning point that really got you to, you know, help market and help get people through the door to buy your franchises. Exactly. Now, the most difficult thing, Ian, is at the very beginning, we all overwork, right? We, we work so hard. Most franchises start with a copper store, right? You have one store, you maybe open two or three, and then, then you start the franchise. But people don't realize that we already work 40, 50, 60 hours. Now you're creating a new business, but you don't have time and resource for it. You just, you just spend some money and have an FDD, right? Franchise, disclose a document and hopefully someone knock on the door. No, actually, then the turning point is I need to slow down. I need to allocate 10, 20, 30 hours a week intentionally working on my new business. What do I need? Maybe I, I, I need to uh, 
first of all, I need maybe to have someone who can help me sell franchise, right? Or market or sell franchise. Acquisition cost in the franchise industry is high, right? I don't have the exact data right now, but like if you look back in the last 19 or 20, it probably cost north of $8,500, $9,000 to $15,000 customer acquisition cost for someone to close a deal. Wow. And people don't realize, this is just customer acquisition cost. Not, not to mention you have to have whether a full-time or a part-time salesperson to help you. This person is, he or she will do nothing but to try to market your franchise and try to get you people. And then in addition to that, you need to have all the operating system so that when people talk to you, they say, okay, so how many locations do you have? Are you willing to open your book? Are you making money? How, how long have you been in business and all this stuff? So it, 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 it takes a whole village to actually start and operate the franchise business. A lot of people think, well, you know, like, Having a franchise printing money, no. I haven't seen a franchise that's profitable with under 25 units. I don't care whether it is food concept or service and all that. People are talking, okay, the first number one to number 25 is basically a learning curve. You are struggling, right? It's, it's, you are in a survival mode, right? Yeah. When you have 25 to 50, you are in a stable mode. You're not making money, but your, your concept is stabilized, wow. right? You start to have the, the operation in play. Now you have the resources to, to put more uh, body in your team. And then when you go to seven to a hundred, that is when you're in a successful state, sustainable, right? It's the third S. And then the fourth S is when you have a hundred, north of a hundred, then you are in a scalable state, survival, stable, successful, and scaling state. So I am in, you know, in the third stage right now. And then of course, um, the pandemic threw a curveball. We were on track to do a hundred unit by the end of the year. And then because of the social distancing, we have to slow down. So it set me back maybe a couple of years. We have, we currently have close to 70 locations in the U.S., Wow. Think about that, you know, at 70, just to acquire the customers, you've spent at least three quarters of a million dollars. I'm not going to ask you exactly, but you've spent a lot of money. You spent a lot of money. Oh, yeah. It's funny because we talked before and I'm like, I want to have you on the show. And you're like, I'm not an expert marketer. But I think you had to have acquired the ability to understand marketing and not you don't have to be the marketer but you have to understand marketing, what works, what doesn't, how to decide what's working, how to decide what's not working. You know, where are you now? How do you decide what marketing direction to go into uh, when you're growing your franchises, when you're as a franchisor? Because you also now have to do two types of marketing to acquire yeah. the franchisor and for the franchisees. Yeah, so you, yeah. <laughs> it's a B2B and B2C, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you have two businesses, and then you have two sets of marketing and I'm getting stressed just talking to you. <laughs> so how do you make marketing decisions? How do you decide what direction to go? Very good. Very good question, Ian. A lot of people think, okay, 
now I have a franchise. I'm going to sell franchise in the US, Canada, Mexico. No, actually, it's wrong. So first of all, we have to identify a certain major market, right? Whether it's a food concept or a service concept like us, right? What state do we want to market to? Which state do we think have the most potential for the B2C market? And then we need to capture the B2B market. So let's take an example. Texas is like a whole country. We have a lot of uh, uh, franchises in Texas and California is the big place, right? So let's target Texas. And then we want to put 60, 70, 80% of the, of the marketing dollar in the Texas market. And then the performer, who are we looking for, right? You are the marketing expert, you know. Was that stay-home parent? Was it someone who have a, a, a college degree? What is the household income like? Are you solving their pain? Or is that a lifestyle business, right? Mm -hmm. What are you looking for? Once we have the persona, then we can work it backward. And then whether through Facebook, LinkedIn, or, or franchise expo or, or whatever, uh, or franchise brokerage, right? And then we are able to find those people. It's typically if we get email leads coming in, uh, probably you can close one out of 200 leads. In the past, it's about 100, 150. Right now, things are very, very difficult. If you have 200 cold leads coming in, I mean, I mean, you are really good and lucky if you close a deal. And then a lead is not cheap, right? A lead is between 35 to north of $200, depending on how you define a lead and, and where, 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 where are they coming from? You just explained, you know, the essentials of being a great marketer. And it's, you know, determine your market, determine where they are, be very specific about your offer, get a bunch of leads and know how much it costs to get a lead and how much, you know, lifetime value. Exactly. And, and people get so far away from that. I can't yeah. tell you how many times, I mean, cause I talk to people on a daily basis about their marketing business owners and they don't know any of those things. It's just, yeah. Hey, I want more leads. Right. Yeah. That's, and they start at the end. And I think that's, it's so important. I want to in, in, interrupt and add one more thing. This is a mistake that a lot of people make in franchising. Mm -hmm. I want to have 50 store in the whole U S one in each state. That is wrong. You can't do that. You can't even support that. It's not even feasible. So, so we set a market. We said, let's say we'll use Texas as an example. Do not open another market until you have three, five, 10, 20 in that market. Because it is super difficult to market, to support, you know, to do grand opening, to do onboarding, right? So my advice to uh, emerging franchisor is that just, Focus on a couple of states, right? If you have 50 mm. locations, be it in five states, instead of I am in all over the year. And sometimes I, I, I don't want to name any name, brand, but sometimes I talk to people and say, we are in seven countries. And I said, how many units we have? Like we have 25. Oh, if you do the map, Ian, if you have 25 store in seven countries, what does that mean? You have three and a half unit in each country that is just how do you support it right yeah you just can't and then you are marketing you know if if i threw marketing dollar in texas to support my franchisee i have 10 locations there right 
so we can collectively grow the business within that area. If you have one in each state or two, like you're all over the place, you scatter around. It's a shortcut method. I think that's amazing, amazing advice. But I'm going to come back to something you said about the cost, you know, the number of leads coming down. Why do you think that's happened and how has your marketing perspective shifted through COVID, through the pandemic? Yeah, the, 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 the thing is, the, the, the closing ratio is slower, so low is that, Ian, because a lot of the time when you're targeting people who want to buy a franchise, but someone who are looking for a business might not be interested in your franchise. So if someone, okay, I want, I want a business, right? Let's think backwards. Someone, let's say between job or don't want a corporate America anymore, want to start a little business and they have 50, 100, quarter million dollar, whatever set aside for a business. So first of all, they're looking into multiple business sector, whether it's pets business, personal service, professional service, food concept and all that. Right. So your lead is getting to those people and hopefully you can narrow down to professional service, the food concept. And then also in every sector, yeah, even if you narrow down to food concept or business service, they are a competitor. I'm not the only one in the education franchise. McDonald's is not the only one in the fast food concept. There are like in, 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 the, in the quick and comfort food business, there are so many competitors. So you are fighting with your competitors. Sometimes they talk to me, talk to two of my competitors, right? And then, yep. and then at the end of the day, they'll pick one out, out, out of the three. It could be me. It could be somebody else. So that's why it is so hard, right, to get a lead and then work with them and close. And typically in the, in the franchise business, right, it takes about 45 days to nine months or even a year to close a deal. Wow. I mean, 90, 45, 90 days is pretty quick. It's unheard of. From the day you get the lead to the day they sign the franchise agreement, it's going to be a long time. That's a long time before you start making money. And you know, it becomes daunting. Speaking of making money, I want to I wanna interrupt a little bit because a yeah. lot of people think that, oh, I charge a franchise fee, right? In the franchise business, there are two fees. One is the upfront, it's called the franchise fee, and then later on, it's a royalty. A lot of people think that, oh, I charge uh, a franchise fee is ranging between fifty to $5,000 to $50,000, depending on the concept, right? I was like $35,000. So people think that, oh, I don't have cash flow. I need the money. I'm gonna sell the 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 the, the, the I'm gonna sell franchise and make some money. No, if you look at a successful brand, none of the brand are making money on franchise fee. A franchise fee is an investment for you to get them in the door. You make money, like you mentioned earlier, it's a lifetime value. How long do they stay in the concept? Whether your whether your franchise agreement is three years, five years, it's typically five to 20 years. So I was five years. Typical franchise, 10, 20 years. So you actually help them build the business and then you earn the royalty, you know, for a long time. But doesn't mean you don't have expenses. Once they are your franchisee, you need support, you know, uh, uh, technology and, and, and the whole thing. You, you have a business to run and support your franchisee. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and, and so, you know, instead of starting a new franchise model, you went into technology, <laughs> education technology. Once again, now, how did you decide 
what area to go into the technology, because that's not something that you just open up tomorrow and start making some money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I need to thank COVID uh, because in the middle of COVID, all the locations were closed. Mm-hmm. So we have to pivot. We have to teach students online and all this stuff. We had that concept before the COVID, but we were in a comfort zone, right? We didn't push it through. So the reason, one of the reasons why I, I, I started adaptively education and ed tech companies that uh, in the past, our model was brick and mortar. We have a teacher physically meet the person, they come to the center and then work on pencil and paper. Very traditional, right? It's like back to the 80s, nothing changed. With the ed tech company, you are able to learn anywhere, anytime, on any device. You are still able to have access to our teacher via video, video call. So just you and I like that. We do a very small group. So they are able to learn with the teacher. And then at the end of the day, when they are done, they meet our teacher once a week. And then between classes, they are able to do the worksheet online using our LMS, learning management system. So they're going to do the work online. They're going to type it and they're going to submit it. You'll get the answer immediately. And then we not only we digitize our content, we gamify our content too. So like every other week, students are able to play education game. They are super excited. They didn't know that they're learning. They are playing, you know, addition, subtraction, fraction. They are, they are playing game. And then I wanted to be a data company, Ian. It is, it is more than an ad tech company. We are able to collect the data. How long do they log in? Which time of the day? How long do they stay? How many problems do they do? Are the problem getting harder, easier? We are able to capture the, the learning behavior. Hopefully when we have enough data it, down the road, maybe months or year, we're able to predict at risk or advanced students. We're able to have that data. Fantastic. And I mean, yeah, and, and that's exciting. Yeah, that's super exciting because we're using machine learning and artificial intelligence behind the scene to collect and capture the data and, and analyze it in, in an intelligent way so that we, we can help with the future and existing students. And how are you going about marketing and growing this business now? What's your plan, your technology plan for this? Yeah. So, so again, right, like you're in a marketing field, uh, organic reach is very important. Worth of mouth is one of the major things. And, you know, right now we're doing SEO. Uh, we are doing social media marketing and all that. And because we are a little bit unique because we have a franchise, right? We serve thousands of students. So we, we have a database who help us. Um, we've been in business for 26 years, right? So we have a lot of raving fans who help us promote the business, whether it's, it's the same, right? Whether you go to best in class education center or you go to adaptively education, it, it's, it's a similar format. Uh, the, the franchise model is that if you live in a certain uh, territory, right? When we sell the, the, um, the franchise and they buy a territory, if you live within that territory, you have an option to go to one of our location if they open or you do it online. But if you're living outside of territory, if you look in Montana, you live in Hawaii and, 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 and other places that we don't have a physical presence, then you can use adaptively education. They, they, they work hand in hand. Fantastic. And um, well, this is, fa- this is really, really cool. So if, if someone was thinking about starting to franchising right now, starting a franchise, obviously, 
you know, with COVID, a lot of people probably aren't, or maybe there are thinking that they want to start a franchise. What advice would you say right now in the middle of, you know, towards the end of a pandemic, you know, world has changed. What would you give, what kind of advice would you give to a franchisor? Yeah. And I think a franchise, a process is a system. So um, whether a business want a franchise or not, in order to scale, I think my first piece of advice is document, document, document. Document all the stuff that you do on a regular basis, whether through a Google Doc or a checklist, right? Give you a very, very simple example. Like I am sure like Madonna, when they open the door, that's a checklist for them to do, right? A manager yep. is going, right? Like turn the thing on. You think that this is something that I do on a regular basis. Why do I have to write it down? You don't, because if you are going to be here until the age of 156, you can do it by yourself, then you don't have to document it because you can do it in your sleep. But if you were to have someone to train someone to do it, if you were to scale it, if you were to open a franchise, you need to give them the process mm -hmm. and the fundamental of a of a uh, uh, a franchise is the process. It is the operate the franchise operating menu, right? How do we hire? That is a hundred pages. How do we how do we do this? Another hundred pages, right? So. Wow. In order to start a franchise, start from today, if you have not done so, document all your process. And imagine today, if you are not here sitting in your chair and doing the thing that you do for eight hours, how do you document it in a way that if someone come in tomorrow, be able to read your document, your checklist, and be able to follow what you do successfully. I think that's the key. If you can do that, then you can franchise. Uh, yeah, but just having a recipe, just having something to sell is not make a franchise, does it? Doesn't, doesn't, yeah. That's fantastic. Well, how? thank you so much. Your book is From Bad to Worst to Best in Class, available on Amazon. You can follow you on LinkedIn, How Lam, H-A-O-L-A-M. Um, and your business, the ad tech is adaptively and best in class is the best in class education center is your franchise. Got a lot going on. Uh, but uh, any last words of wisdom for people before we get going? Yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you so much. And, and my last word is, um, I know is pandemic is hard. A lot of people are living through a tough time, but like we are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, please don't give up. I tried more than 10 times before I finally made it to the Philippine refugee camp. I almost got killed multiple times in my life. But at the end of the day, I made it. I failed so many times in the business and people said, hey, what is your what is the recipe for your overnight success? That's no recipe for overnight success. I am here today because I worked so hard for the last 26 years, Ian. The like, Overnight success only take 26 years. Be patient, <laughs> take good care of yourself, eat good food, you know, exercise more. These are all the basic stuff I want to share with people. It's the mindset, right? Having a positive mindset and be grateful for 
everything around you. Like, Ian, I have two pens. I only need one. I'm so grateful that I have two. We're, we're grateful that we have, we have a roof, right? We are mm-hmm. so grateful that if you read my book at one point, I was trying to, I imagine a glass of ice water, right? Vividly, I, I, I feel the bubble outside the glass. I just want to lick it. I didn't have water, wow. right? Now I'm grateful for everything. It's a mindset that changed everything. Move around, exercise, enjoy the nature, drink a lot of water, eat organic food, just and have a positive attitude. Pandemic will be a way. There will be a light at the end of the tunnel. We'll just stay healthy. If you are alive, anything is possible. Thank you. Thank you. How? Thank you so much for joining us, for your inspiring story. It's been a blast. I really appreciate you being on. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. And thank you all for taking How and I on your journey. You know, make sure to read his book. Stay inspired. You know, if that's not an inspiring story for you, I don't know what is. Um, and realize that you should be grateful. Realize that the opportunity is there and you just got to take it and take action. Keep, you know, start doing stuff. I think that's the, another big lesson from today. But thank you all for joining How, How and I are, are on this episode and letting us join you on your journey. This has been Ian Garlic and the Garlic Marketing Show. Video, you know it'll make you an authority. You know it will get you more leads, better leads that close faster and spend more with you. And video stories will help you be remembered and connect with those perfect clients. The problem is, where do you start? Storycruise.com is the place to go. It's like a film crew with an S. What's your strategy? Do you do it yourself? Do you hire a videographer? An agency? Do you need an editor? How do you know if they really know your business and how to make videos for business that work? The answer to all of this and more can be found at storycruise.com. It is the place to find the latest video marketing strategies, the best gear for your business, as well as videographers, editors, and agencies near you that are trained in video storytelling for business. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get special insider info for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show, including special access to several of my courses, including my case story course. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get a whole bunch of special offers just for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show. Whether you're looking for a videographer or to do it yourself, go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get started today. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. Facebook.